And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mauk and Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mauk and Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Good afternoon. Welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. Today we'll be discussing how we can engage the culture without losing the gospel. That's actually the subtitle of Dr. Russell Moore's book, uh, Onward. We're here with Dr. Russell Moore. Uh, So glad to have you. Oh, good to be with you. Thanks for having me. I also have my partner, Rich Baker. Uh, we are attorneys at uh, Malkin Baker in Chicago, where we focus on a number of different areas of the law. We serve uh, the body of Christ and various ministries with all of its legal needs, from zoning uh, to not-for-profit administration. But uh, we've also had time representing other faith groups as well. And so you can find out more about what we do at maukbaker.com, M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com, or call us, 312-726-1243. Today, our guest again is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, Dr. Russell Moore. Dr. Russell Moore, we have so much uh, that we'd like to talk to you about. uh, But first of all, tell us more about your book. Well, the book is uh, is really uh, trying to help uh, Christians to think through a changing cultural context, and I find that uh, the reason I write the book wrote the book is because I find that a lot of Christians who are uh, either panicked and uh, and hand wringing or just becoming uh, more and more angry, um, and I think we need a, a big a big picture vision of what's actually going on around us. And, and of where we're going in terms of the kingdom of God. Let me just so that's why um, come right in there. I, I probably fit both of those categories of panicked and hang ringing. I really, and I, I was reading your book and it was talking about the bigger picture. Spell out for us a little bit of that bigger picture. Well, I think one of the one of the things that we we tend to lose focus on is um, is, is the fact that the gospel uh, really it doesn't need uh, a a cultural apparatus around it in order to march forward. I mean, I think one of the problems that the Christians tend to have is that we tend to buy into the secular progressive myth. And the secular progressive myth is that um, is that in every society, as time goes forward, uh, people become less and less religious, more and more uh, secular, and that that upward march towards secularization just continues on uh, mm-hmm. unimpeded. And I think sometimes Christians tend to unwittingly believe that. And so we believe that we're we're losing everything, which which puts us into a, a situation of trauma, um, which is not the posture that we find in the New Testament. There's a there's a confidence in the New Testament, uh, precisely because we we know the outcome of of what's going to happen. Jesus is going to build his church, and so then we're not aware of what the Spirit is doing in building the church around us, and and we we simply become despondent, and that tends to become a, a self-fulfilling prophecy uh, in the short term, at least. Sure, yeah, and I think I'm <laughs> a lot like Rich. Uh, you know, we, in fighting in the courts on, for civil liberties and religious liberty um, all across the board, I think for us as a law firm, it can easy, easily become uh, a place of cynicism and uh, despondency or anger at the injustice. And uh, so I, I think what we're hearing from your book and what you're saying is uh, Christians shouldn't be in that defensive posture, kind of the uh, the despondent, oh, we're losing 
uh, because we have a confidence. We have a confidence. We have a hope. And so I, th- I think that's great. Uh, one of the questions, and I think this this touches on it, uh, a friend of mine who's a pastor, a Southern Baptist pastor in Missouri, is struggling with how he can help his congregation and perhaps other believers in his community uh, deal with um, this increasing draw to kind of xenophobia and uh, this defensive uh, posture that I think, you know, we see in our churches, you know, I yeah. see it in my own heart, frankly, <laughs> you know, how do we protect what we've got, you know, our own liberty and, and those types of things. So h- how would you counsel that pastor? Well, I think that the main thing is to recognize that when you, when you hear that coming forward, one of the, one of the things that you're hearing is an identity problem is that, that you have people who really don't see the breadth and the scope uh, of who we are as the body of Christ and, and, uh, and part of the kingdom of God. And so that, that means uh, hitting that uh, consistently in teaching and preaching. And then also uh, our, our Great Commission and Great Commandment priorities. What does it, what does it really mean uh, to love neighbor as ourselves? That's not going to solve all of the uh, specific issues. There, there's still going to be, uh, there's still going to be questions that we're going to that we're going to have back and forth with one another about what's the best way to do this. But I mean, Jesus, Jesus hits that with the um, uh, with the, the the lawyer in Luke 10, where he talks about the Samaritan and and deals specifically with that question of. Um, who was a neighbor to the man beaten on the road? I, th- I think we just have to constantly be reminded of that, that we're ambassadors of reconciliation. Uh, what does that look like? And sometimes I think uh, that means that in, uh, in our teaching, not just, not just in a formal role, uh, but our teaching of one another, our discipling of one another, that we're, we're constantly bringing up that, that question. Uh, what, what does it really mean? Uh, to be the presence of Christ in places we don't want to go. Uh, and what would that look like in our context? This is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker from the law firm of Malkin Baker. We're speaking with Dr. Russell Moore of ERLC. Yeah, and I think let's just follow up on that because for me, I when I take a zoning case, um, often I go into these situations with a, a, a faith community or a religious group that's new to the community. And they're just seeking a place to worship. It could be a, a group of 20, um, you know, African-American Pentecostals, or it could be a, a sm- small group of Hispanic uh, believers or a, a meditation center or even a mosque, you know, I've had uh, represented. Uh, I'm often looking around to the other religious groups in the community for some support. Mm-hmm. And uh, far, far more often than not, I... When I bring the case or when I make my case and we go and do public relations and I ask for the pastors in the community to rally around my pastor or this other group because religious liberty is essential and it's what it's yeah. an American ideal, I, I get silence. I get no support. And one of the things I think you've written in an article recently about how the value of religious liberty and how we should be supportive of religious liberty for everyone. Yeah. Speak to that. Well, I think sometimes people uh, genuinely don't understand what religious liberty is. And, and I think sometimes American Christians uh, kind of unwittingly fall into this idea that religious liberty is simply about, um, about making sure that whatever the majority uh, is in a particular place at the moment uh, is able to, to exercise its religion unimpeded. Of course, it's not what we believe as Christians. Uh, first and foremost, is not is not what we believe as Americans. I mean, as as Christians, we believe that the state 
can't turn people into Christians. Uh, the state, uh, using its power to zone a house of worship out of existence, for instance, can't turn people into Christians. It can only turn people into pretend Christians. And that's not good enough uh, before the judgment seat of Christ. And so if we really want the gospel to go forward, and if we really want the Great Commission to go forward, then what we need is the ability for people to openly uh, talk about uh, who who they are, and, and simply using the power of the state to suppress uh, their worship and their consciences is not going to get us. Uh, is not going to get us there. And then the other issue is uh, when it comes to to religious freedom. I mean, there's a, a surprising uh, lack of awareness at how self destructive uh, it is not to stand up uh, for religious freedom for people that we we disagree with. Amen. Um, I mean, you, if, if you if you can give the government the ability uh, to to zone people out of existence simply because of what they believe, because what they believe is unpopular, then you now have handed the government a sword that the government will in due time use against you. Um, and so that's uh, that's something I, I think I think we we tend to lose sight of, and I think it's it's built off of this uh, myth that that I talk about in the book that that um, that we're part of this this vast cultural majority in American life. I don't think that was ever true if you define gospel Christianity rightly, uh, but I certainly don't think uh, that you can argue that that's true right now. And so that 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 sense of of reluctance when it comes to religious liberty is is deeply deeply self destructive. Uh, Doctor Moore, you've been uh, critical of the culture wars and how Christians have been involved in them. What is the real war that you see uh, needing to be addressed by Christians? And it seems to me in your book, what you're really saying is that you've been fighting the wrong battle. Is, well, is that I, accurate? Well, I think it depends on how someone is defining uh, culture wars. I mean, I think I think people define those terms in in different uh, in different ways. If what we're meaning is contending for culture and for for uh, cultural principles uh, together, then yes, we're all uh, we're all culture warriors in that sense. If we mean culture war as a permanent posture uh, toward our neighbors, um, I think that's where we've we've made a, a mistake because. Um, I tend we uh, I think we we tend not to see the depth of the of the real problem and and the real problem is is much deeper than just whatever is being debated on Facebook right now and so I think I think sometimes we've we've been blind to the ways um, that we have accommodated to the outside culture around us um, without without even knowing it. And, and we're not quite the culture warriors we pretend to be. Um, and then I think also we, we tend to fall into a mentality where we really don't see how people change. And most people just really don't change uh, after a 30-minute uh, debate uh, in, in, in a coffee shop or, or certainly af- out of uh, being uh, vaporized in an argument on Twitter or, or Facebook. Uh, most people change by a long and sustained uh, period of engaging with someone with whom they disagree. Coming up, we'll, let's t- we'll talk more about that. Sorry, we're run up to a break, but uh, we're talking with Dr. Russell Moore. Uh, we're going to speak more about this. How do we engage culture as followers of Jesus? You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio every Saturday at 3 o'clock. Call us, 312-726-1243. 
Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Noel Sterrett, partner of the law firm Mauk & Baker. We're talking with Dr. Russell Moore of the ERLC, and we're discussing how followers of Jesus can engage the culture without losing the gospel. Uh, Rich, you have a question uh, for Dr. Moore, and uh, I think this is a good one to focus on now. Well, the question that I was raising is one of laws do act as teachers in a society. And as I read the book, sometimes I'm confused as to whether uh, fighting for good laws is is a, a valuable part of what Christians should be doing or whether we our mission is really quite something else. How do you address that, Dr. Moore? Well, I think the question is not whether or not we fight for good laws. I think the question is how we do it. And uh, I think that if you look at the, the models of Christian um, engagement on these sorts of questions, whether you go all the way back to Wilberforce with the slave trade or you uh, move in with the um, abolitionist question with the Second Great Awakening mm-hmm. uh, in this country or uh, the Baptist uh, defense of uh, religious liberty uh, at the, in the founding era of this country or the civil rights movement, what you have are, are, are groups that start with a theological identity. Um, and then move from that theological identity to their various concerns in the public arena and are, are willing to build collaborative majorities. They're willing to work with people uh, that they disagree with, always using this, this, this long-term uh, persuasive um, witness that comes back to the central issue of the gospel. I think where American Christianity has gone wrong um, in more recent years is that we've become accustomed to the idea of a cultural Christianity sure. that really doesn't deal with uh, the bottom-level issues of gospel. And we also haven't been very effective at, uh, at seeking to engage people who disagree with us. We're, right. we're, we're talking entirely to ourselves and, uh, and often to, um, to our fundraising basis. Uh, rather than actually engaging with people who disagree. And I don't think you actually can build um, a legal system uh, or a cultural system out of that. Uh, what you end up with is simply, is simply self-reinforcement. So how? let's take a more recent example, and I think your book would uh, refer to this as well as the early civil rights m- movement, particularly in the days of Martin Luther King Jr. How did that actually act like the abolitionists or like Wilberforce in terms of having its central identity in the gospel, and then moving from there? Well, you had, in all of these movements, you had collaborations uh, between people who, uh, who had, uh, had gospel, biblical uh, foundations, and then people who didn't. And, and they, were, they were working together, whether that's um, uh, the, the Baptists and, and Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and the founding era, and the same thing was true in the Civil Rights Movement. But you had people who had a um, a theological message that came with uh, that came with authority. I mean, even those who didn't themselves uh, believe in the authority of Scripture were appealing to that in terms of the conscience uh, for mm-hmm. people who do. And that's that's why when you think of why was why was Martin Luther King so effective? It's because he he spoke to white Christians. Um, on the basis of the conscience coming mm-hmm. from uh, the Bible, and then he spoke to white Americans from the conscience on the basis of the Declaration of Independence. Absolutely. Well, then the question becomes, when Scripture is no longer authoritative now in our culture, where is the place for that um, collaboration? 
Well, I don't think I don't think we've ever had a time where scripture has been uh, authoritative in American culture the way that scripture demands to be authoritative. Sure. Uh, I think I think we've had scripture as a as a cultural totem, but we haven't had scripture as uh, as the voice of Christ uh, commanding His people. And so, part of of what happens when uh, some of the issues that we see happening around us are are people who just really don't understand what it means to be religiously motivated. Um, I think a lot of the religious liberty conflicts that we have right now boil down to that. People who just don't don't get what. Well, little sisters of the poor—they must—they must really be about power or money or something. Uh, we have to do a better job explaining to people what it means to have a conscience that will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and um, and, and explain what it means to be religiously motivated. And they need to see us as we're as we're, for instance, standing up for people we disagree with, explaining why in gospel terms. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Noel Sterrett of the law firm Malkin Baker. We're speaking with Dr. Russell Moore. Uh, Dr. Moore, one of the things that I think we're seeing as lawyers is law follows culture. And uh, in many respects, we have failed the culture. We have uh, failed to uh, watch the culture transform in a way that's um, in harmony with how God would have us um, live in this country with our neighbors uh, we've replaced a love for the gospel and love for our neighbor with perhaps, you know, as you had alluded to, a love for power, a love for control, a love for fundraising dollars, or just victory over the other person on some type of cultural issue. Uh, there are a lot of pastors out in the Chicagoland area that are listening to this. What would you advise them as what they could do? Uh, both to learn more about how they can be better advocates themselves, but also in terms of disciple-making, because I think this ultimately comes down to, are we making disciples? Are, is our identity in, in, in Messiah Jesus, and how are we living that out in the culture with our neighbors? Well, I mean, the, the first thing I would say is don't assume uh, that your people are embedded in a, in a biblical gospel framework. Uh, be explicit about what it means uh, to be people who are following Jesus, and then secondly, I would say pay attention to what are the what are the cultural um, vortexes that your people are being drawn into, and and often those are not going to be the things that are obvious. Uh, they're not, they're not going to be the things that are that are being fiercely debated right now. They're they're the things that aren't being debated at all, because people are people are, are simply making assumptions and and. And, and falling into those things. So pay attention to that. I mean, for me, one of the ways that that was helpful uh, when I was a pastor was in doing uh, one-on-one counseling. Uh, I would find out what was happening uh, often when I start running into the same thing over and over again. So when I'm doing premarital counseling, for instance, and I, I find out that um, I keep running into the, the same flawed view of what marriage is, hmm. And, uh, well, that, that helps me to know some things that I might take for granted as I'm teaching through Ephesians 5 or somewhere else. I have to be really explicit about and say, when the Bible says this, it does not mean that. Uh, so just spending time and, and picking up on what are my people saying to me that they're not even asking about, I think, is a, is a good start. You also have a chapter in your book entitled Convictional Kindness. Uh, what is that, <laughs> and how do we get it? Because, uh, like Rich, uh, 
and you know a lot of people out there, we run into a situation where we see injustice at war. Mm-hmm. We run into something, and our first reaction is probably not the best one. Uh, it's anger, it's fear, it's other things. But you speak of a convictional kindness. Could you define that? Well, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy in Second uh, Timothy two uh, to to treat uh, unbelievers with kindness and gentleness, so that. Uh, Paul says they can be freed from the power of the devil who has held them captive to do his will. Mm. And so the the kindness and gentleness, sometimes in an American context, we tend to think that that means passivity, that you're you're not addressing uh, points of, of disagreement. That's not at all what Paul says, because he says correcting them, uh, rebuking them, but it's the way that we do it in kindness and gentleness. And And why is that the case? It's because... Uh, the Scripture tells us it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That's that's how uh, the message of the gospel works, is we speak not only what Jesus says, but also how he says it. And it's also because if you, if you, look, at, if you look at what's going on even in our context right now in America, people are able to read frantic outrage uh, for what it is, mm-hmm. and it's a lack of confidence. And so the, the people who have a deep confidence and a tranquility are the people who then have the freedom uh, to be able to be kind and gentle and patient uh, as we're working with people who disagree with us. Yeah, and uh, I think even in the political, the political context, uh, it just shows just how susceptible we are uh, to being drawn into, uh, you know, the politicians are constantly playing to those fears, constantly yeah. getting into the bombastic uh, you know, and it and it and it's divided us in so many different ways into our different tribes. Uh, right now, we're in a very difficult time as a country, both politically, and we've got all these divisions. What can we do going forward? Well, I think uh, I think we need to uh, we need to become accustomed to having a prophetic voice, uh, which means that we're we're constantly going to be speaking to ourselves, reminding ourselves of who we are. And we're also going to be uh, constantly speaking to the world around us that's going to increasingly um, not only not understand us, but know that they don't understand us. I think there's been a, a large segment of American culture that hasn't really understood gospel Christianity, but thought that it did. And now we're moving into a time where more of American culture is going to see Christianity itself as being uh, strange and, and freakish. Uh, that's that's good in my view. That's that's getting us back to a New Testament context where we actually can deal with what we're talking about when we're talking about Christianity, not simply about uh, moral values and 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 political positions and so forth. Although all of those are derivative implications, but we're dealing with the core of what Christianity actually is. And where can they find out more about your work and the work of the ERLC and your book? Uh, well, they can go to our website at erlc.com, and there's lots of resources on um, everything from uh, marriage and family all the way over to uh, end-of-life questions and, and abortion and, and, and any any ethical issue that you can think of. Okay, great. Well, I would encourage you to go out, pick up a copy of Dr. Russell Moore's book, Onward, Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel. If you have a legal need or question and want the perspective of a local Christian attorney, call us at Malk and Baker. You can reach us at 312-726-1243. Dr. Moore, we really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you very much. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. All right. You can tune in every Saturday at 3 o'clock to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. Gonna have to save somebody. Yes, indeed.
You're gonna have to serve somebody 